Well, good morning. It's really great to be back out with y'all. Um, I know it's only been a week, but it feels like it's been a while since I've gotten to speak to you on a Sunday. Uh, all those in Mountain View, where I was last Sunday, they send their kind regards as always. It, it's always a great opportunity to be able to speak and work with the brethren and in other areas and get to know them better and get to know their work better. But there's just always an extra pep in my step when I get to be here with the family here on Sunday mornings. So very thankful for that opportunity. If you want to turn with me, we'll be in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and we'll be focusing on just... The, the beginning of this letter, just the first few verses of this letter this morning. And as some background, as we get to the letter of 2 Corinthians, at some point between this letter and the letter we call 1 Corinthians, the church in Corinth, they distanced themselves from Paul. They decided he was too poor, he got into the trouble with the Jews and the Romans too much, and he wasn't even that great of a speaker to begin with. Essentially, they decided that he was more trouble than he was worth. And so they abandoned him. And they abandoned his work in the gospel. And this was after Paul had worked so much with them. He had converted and baptized many of them. He sent the first letter to try to get them back on track following God's will again after they had departed it. And after all that, they decided that they were done with him. But Paul said that's not good enough because when the Corinthians abandoned Paul, it wasn't just a simple personal dispute. When the Corinthians abandoned Paul, they also abandoned many of the teachings of God that Paul had taught to them. In other words, they didn't just reject Paul, they rejected the gospel with him. They rejected his work for the Lord. And so Paul sent them another letter, at least one more letter. The one that we have recorded for us is what we call 2 Corinthians, a book where Paul shows the Corinthians his love for them. Did all this misery and poverty and trouble and the harsh visits and letters that many in the church grew to distrust Paul for... Some of them even to seemingly hate Paul for. That was the very proof by which he showed his Christ-like love for them. And I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit here. We'll touch on some of these things as we go. But I just wanted to give some of that background of the situation before we just read the first part of this letter together. Because a lot of that happened before we even get to the first verse here. So if you're in 2 Corinthians 1 with me. We're going to start by just reading the first 11 verses of the book. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God that is in Corinth with all the saints who are in the whole of Achaia, grace to you and peace from, our, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. 
If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction that we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You must also help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted, to, granted us through the prayers of many. And we'll stop there for the sake of this lesson. And at first glance, a lot of what you see in the opening of this letter is kind of what you would expect from a letter from Paul. He says, hey guys, it's Paul and Timothy here. He wishes them grace and peace. That's all kind of standard stuff. But normally, kind of after that, we would expect to see Paul maybe praise God or thank God for the church that he's writing the letter to. Or maybe we'd expect him to offer a prayer on behalf of the church there. And I think as far as I remember, and I forgot to read and look, so someone can correct me afterwards if I'm wrong. But you see some sort of prayer for the church from Paul in just about every letter except for Galatians and here, at least as far as I remember. And you say, fine, you're losing me a little bit here, Gavin. What does what's not in the letter, what Paul didn't write, what does that have to do with the passage of the book? That's fine. That's fair enough. So let's focus on what Paul replaces that prayer with for a second, with the message that is there. And the first thing that I want to emphasize, because it seems to be the first thing that Paul wants to emphasize, is that the focus is put on God. The attention is immediately shifted away from Paul or the Corinthians or any argument that they had had, like maybe what I would want to focus on if I was Paul, and shifted towards God and his glory. Just read the first four verses with me again. And notice how often Paul emphasizes the role of God in the work. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God that is in Corinth, with all the saints who are in Achaia, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we may be able to comfort those experiencing any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. That's a lot of emphasis straight from the get-go on the role of God in his work. Acknowledging God's will, blessing God for what he does. And that's important that it's what he does because the emphasis here is not on the 
abstract idea of God. The focus is not just simply that God exists, although that is certainly worth praising in its own right. The idea that Paul is emphasizing here is God's role in the work of the gospel. God's role in the work even in Corinth. God's work in the very letter that Paul is writing. The emphasis here is praising God for what he does for the church and for those who work for the gospel. And so we have to ask ourselves, well, what is that role? What is God doing for the work of Paul and for the work of Corinth? And just look at this way that God is described here. We're going to read some of those same verses again. And I want you to really focus in on the way that God is described. Grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles. Paul praises God here for his work as our father. The familial tie that we have to God as children of him. And also as a result of that, God's role in comforting the weary saints. Paul praises God for his mercy and his love. The father of mercies. God of all comfort. Those are titles and and maybe those are ways that, that I don't think of our God enough. The father of mercies, God of all comfort. But we should think of God that way. Because that's absolutely what he does for us. And we'll see that shown very clearly throughout the rest of this passage. But for now, let's just read verses five through seven again. For just as the sufferings of Christ overflow toward us, so also our comfort through Christ overflows to you. But if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for for your comfort that you experience in your patient endurance of the same sufferings that we also suffer. And our hope for you is steadfast, because we know that you share in our sufferings, so also you will share in our comfort." And this marks the transition point in the passage of sorts. These are the verses that I think this section really hinges on. And it gets to some of what Paul's going to cover in the rest of those book, the rest of this book, some of those themes of suffering and endurance, about what Paul went through for the work of the gospel and for the Corinthians. But here Paul says, any comfort that I got. I get from God in Christ. And I'm going to use that to comfort the church. I'm going to use that to comfort other Christians. He uses that comfort which he receives from God to inspire other Christians to see the love and mercies of God. And he uses the suffering that he gets because of the cause of Christ. And he also uses that to encourage the church, to be steadfast in their work, to have this endurance that he chose, the trust in the God of all comfort. And I think that that is an incredible picture. The idea that 
no matter what Paul received, what we would say the good times and the bad times, the sufferings and trials, or the comforts and mercy, he says both of those things I'm going to use for the benefit of the church and the Christians around me. I'm going to use that overflow from God to give it to others. And we see a a pretty direct example of that in the next few verses. Verses 8 through 10. It says, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, regarding the affliction that happened to us in the province of Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength, so that we despaired even of living. Indeed, we felt as if the sentence of death had been passed against us, so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. He delivered us from so great a risk of death and he will deliver us. We have set our hope on him that he will deliver us yet again. Paul says here, I'm not going to keep secrets from you. He's not hiding the struggles that come from the work of the gospel. He's not tricking anyone here. Paul is very open about his struggles. And I don't know what in particular happened to Paul in Asia. But whatever it was, it was bad. The work of the gospel brought Paul a lot of pain, a lot of suffering. And it says that him and the workers there even despaired of living. Which seems to be a really nice way to say that Paul was so out of options. He was so low. He had been brought so low by this suffering that he was ready to die. That in some ways, he said that he even felt that death was inevitable. Paul says that's how hard it was. I don't know about you. I've had some low times, some rough times in my faith, some rough times for the work in the gospel, but I've never had anything like this, where death seemed to be a foregone conclusion. And it didn't even seem to be that bad of one for Paul. That Paul trusted in God. He says that this suffering drove him to further trust in God and his deliverance. That the trials actually deepened his faith and trust because he knew that he couldn't deliver himself. And he knew that God would deliver him. And God did deliver him from his trial. Just as Paul said, he always has and always will in the future. Even if he doesn't deliver by physical deliverance from death, Paul says he's going to deliver me by the resurrection and the eternal deliverance from death. And I want you to set aside the setting of this for a second. Forget the letter. Forget the argument between Paul and the Corinthians. Let's just say that you're having a conversation with Paul here. And Paul says, look, I'm not going to lie to you. My work for God, it's been really hard recently. There was a time that I was so depressed, so low that I thought I was going to die. In fact, I thought I was going to be killed any second for my work. That's how bad it got. But I trusted in the God of all comfort. And that trial deepened my trust. And he brought me thus far. How would you react to that? Because I think if I'm sitting across the table from Paul. 
be shocked, surprised maybe. I'd probably say something like, well, that's crazy. I'm glad that God brought you out of that. But in the back of my head, I'd be wondering a little bit, okay, but why are you telling me this? That's a lot to just drop on someone. And I wonder if some ways... When the Corinthians get to this point in the letter, they had the same question. They're like, you know, that's amazing, Paul. What's your point? And Paul gets to the point in verse 11. Says that we have set our hope on him that he will deliver us yet again. As you also join in helping us by prayer. So that many people may give thanks to God on our behalf for the gracious gift given to us. Through the help of many. You see what Paul is saying here? It's the very example of what he said in verses five through seven. That Paul shares this experience, this lowest of low points, so that everyone can be strengthened in praises to God. That Paul's life, both the comfort and the trials, both the deliverance and the suffering, that that is used for the work of the gospel. It is evidence of the God of all comfort and our crucified Lord. And it's given to the Corinthians so that they can rejoice in the work and worship of our Lord. That the Corinthians can see the life of Paul and they can rejoice in God through prayer But also the implication is by taking part in that work themselves, in that suffering and in that deliverance as well. So that they can better trust the ultimate deliverance from trials that God will bring in the future. And so they can become one with Paul and with Christ himself in the work of the gospel. You see, there's a lot that goes into this picture Paul thought that rather than hearing just a simple well-wishing for their work or praise, that the Corinthians needed to hear about the work of the gospel, the reality of the work of the gospel. They needed to hear about suffering, and they needed to hear about deliverance and comfort in that work. And I wish we could take the time to go through all these themes of comfort and deliverance that come out through the rest of the book because they do come up a lot but I would probably have to prolong my speech till midnight to cover all of that I don't want anyone falling out any windows tonight so we'll leave it there for now and you can kind of note these themes as you read through 2 Corinthians next time which I hope that you will do soon But for the rest of this lesson, I want to take some time to focus on what we can learn from Paul's sufferings. What we can learn from his work of the gospel about our role as Christians and about our God, the God of all comfort, this morning. And the first thing that I think we should see is how just like Paul wasn't lying to the Corinthians or hiding anything from them, he's not hiding anything from us either. The road of the Christian is challenging. The work of the gospel will bring suffering. Paul's not tricking anybody here. It's not like if you listen to Paul, being a Christian is an easy path. 
It's always good times, no problems. And then you go out into the world and actually do the work of the gospel. And then you get the real picture and you say, hey, what gives? This is a lot harder than Paul said it was going to be. That's not happening. Paul is very open about the fact that working for the gospel is going to bring hardships. Which is why it's so amazing to me that he says this about his work of the gospel later in the book. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, if you want to turn with me there. And it's verses 7 through 11. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Paul says that, yeah, the work of the gospel, it is going to bring suffering. It's going to bring death in our bodies. But Paul chooses to do the work anyway. Because that suffering... Jesus manifests life out of it. That through the affliction, Jesus brings forth life and blessings. That's a very similar idea to what we saw in chapter 1. That the work is hard. It does bring despair. But blessed be the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our afflictions and trials and despair. And that's why Paul can say this just a few verses later in verses 16 through 18. Paul can say, we don't, we, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an internal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. That the world and what Satan throws at them for harm, God intends for good. That he will work comfort and mercy out of these trials. Paul says, this is the reason that I stay encouraged. That despite the sufferings, despite the despair, God is renewing him. God is preparing him for eternal life. Paul has that final perspective in mind. That God comforts him in all of our sorrows, in part by assuring that when he dies, none of the trials matter anymore. That all of the trials and sufferings, even if they seem insurmountable and impossible by man's standards, because they are. Paul was despaired to the point of death, but it seems as a light affliction. as a momentary problem in comparison to the glory and ultimate comfort that is coming. And that's why Paul said in chapter 1 that his trials bring him closer to God, that he learned that he would not trust in himself, but in God who raises the dead, because he delivered us from the great risk of death, and he will deliver us. And we have set our hope in him that he will deliver us yet again. 
And if I was around Paul and I heard about the beatings and rejections and stonings and shipwrecks that he endured, I'm not calling that light momentary affliction. I'm not saying, oh, well, you can very clearly see that God's with you, Paul. If I see all that, I'm saying, wow, God must not like this guy. But Paul says that all of that, that being harassed at every single turn, in 2 Corinthians 7, 5, and 6, he says that even though we are harassed at every turn, we saw that God comforts the downcast. Paul says that through those trials, through his weakness, he learns to trust God even more, that he will always deliver me and comfort me through the suffering, that I come to know my God better through my sufferings. And even if it's not in this life where I'm delivered, I'm going to be delivered in the life to come. That's what Paul knew, and that's what he was trying to get the Corinthians to see. You see, the Corinthians were right. Paul was nothing, less than nothing by the world standards. He was poor, homeless, clearly rejected by men. But the Corinthians chose to be ashamed of Paul. They abandoned him in his work. But Paul says, these trials, me being poor and homeless, me being rejected, all those things you hate me for, that's the very proof by which I show God's love. That I show the glory that's coming in Christ. That glory that everyone wants. Because everyone wants the glory and successes of the gospel. You want that, I want that. The Corinthians wanted that. There's very few people out there that if you offer them none of the suffering, none of the trials, and all of the glory of Jesus, there's not a whole lot of people that will say, yeah, I'm not really interested. But Paul says that that's not how it works. That the glory of Jesus is made better known by the sufferings and trials. Because that's what Jesus went through. And that's what Paul went through. And he wanted the Corinthians to realize that. But I think sometimes I'm a lot like the Corinthians. I don't want to suffer for the gospel. I don't, I don't like suffering. I don't know about you guys, but I don't, I don't look forward to times where I get to be in despair and misery. And so sometimes we distance ourselves from the people and the good works that we know about and the topics that we know are going to bring opposition and we know are going to bring hardship upon us. And Paul makes it very clear we need to hear this message. We need to be okay with suffering for the gospel. Not that we run into arguments and fights head first. That's not suffering for the gospel. That's suffering for our own bad attitude. But that we do need to do the will of God to seek his righteousness above all else. We need to learn to rely on the God of comfort to comfort us so we can increase our trust in him. And that's hard, but we need to get to work for God. But back in 1 Corinthians 4, we read verses 7 through 11 earlier, but I'll finish the section now because I cut it off early when we read it earlier. After Paul talks about suffering for the gospel, coming into that more full relationship with Christ through his suffering, he finishes it with verse 12. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Just like in chapter 1, 
Paul says that all the trials and the sufferings and the comforts in the work of the gospel that he received, he's going to use to strengthen and bring life to the brethren. So I'll end on this point. Every single one of us here has had our trials and our low points, and all of us have had our successes. All of us have had our times where our faith in the gospel was challenged, where we were weak in our faith, and all of us have had times where God has brought comfort and deliverance. That's something we all share in common. But we don't like talking about those things. The church, as we see it, we've largely shied away from giving personal testimony, our personal story of faith. And I'm not saying you need to necessarily come to the front now and share everything God's ever done for you. But what I am saying is this. That in those trials and those sufferings and those comforts given to you, God has given you an opportunity to serve others. God has given you an opportunity to bring encouragement and life to the brethren through what you have gone through. I'm asking you to share your story. Share how God has delivered you. Share how you have learned to trust him more through the trials Whatever God has given you, both lessons and comfort, give it back to the church here to help strengthen others in their trials as we all strive towards the path of God and his gospel. So this is a twofold call to action. We need to get to work for God, even though it's hard, and I'm guaranteeing you it will be. Paul guarantees you that, and I'm going to say the same thing. I'm going to back Paul up on this one. It's going to be hard to do the work of the gospel. But we can trust in God. He will help you grow. He will give you mercy and comfort you. And I also ask that you share the overflow, as Paul puts it. Share your experiences and trials with the brethren here. Because the Christian walk is hard sometimes. And we're not meant to do it alone. So strengthen each other. Grow closer together as we all strive to grow closer to God. I'm going to say a prayer for our work, and then we'll be dismissed to our classes. Father of mercies, God of all comfort, blessed be your name. Thank you for your comfort. Help us to work for you. Help us to learn to trust you more. Give us the strength to face the challenges that certainly will come, but also give us comfort and mercy. Help us to find others that we can share that mercy and comfort that you have given us with so that we can inspire them to trust you more as well, that we may all strengthen each other to life and to your deliverance. Help us grow together as a family as we grow toward you, our Father. We pray all this in your Son, our Lord's name. Amen.